I think for Munster, for them in order to get a performance and a result, they need to concentrate on how well they played over the last eight weeks since that kind of post Six Nations win. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. Happy 20th Saipan anniversary. I was uh, doing a lot of reading and watching the last few days, Jerry, and I saw yourself standing up at the press conference. Was there, is there footage? In, 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 I don't know, just a photo of you in the, I think it was a red jumper. There is, there it is, oh. of course, on screen, the, the red zippy, the earring, um, a good time. Uh, by the way, Brendan O'Brien of the Irish Examiner is standing <laughs> over your shoulder who hasn't aged one bit <laughs> no. in 20 years. Incredible. Um, no. Uh, what, the, like, what, what does this image say to you? What does it say to who? To you, Jerry. Scoop. Scoop. Look, it's it's like the wireframe notebook, like no more wanky kind of self-indulgent journalist. Look at us all with our little notebooks, like I handed out, like, look at me, I'm a proper journalist. Proper journalist, look at this. How many piercings do you have? Did you have? Hey, none of your business. <laughs> Visible or invisible? Um, Some questions you just don't want to ask. Kind of um, there is video footage. I had an eyebrow piercing, which was gone by that stage. That's a shame. I wish we, wish we saw that. And what age are you there? 24. 24, okay. No, just, just turned 25. There, there is video footage. It's just very, very shaky. There's like a, a kind of a, an online video on, on YouTube. Where, is there? Where it's, it's like it just kind of glances past you. Oh, They're jotting into your uh, shorthand. Um, yeah. Start... yeah, well, that, look, that, that press conference is really the public birth of John Delaney as an important character in Irish football because for whatever reason, he decided he's going to be front and centre and he's going to face the music at that point, he'd kind of been floating around the background, but had never really been in the public's consciousness. No, well, he, he was there at the light of the long knives when his dad, Joe, left the FBI in, in Marengate, 96. And he got onto the board in about 2001 as treasurer. Um, but I was listening back the other day. Um, this press conference was quite quickly arranged. It was on the day that Roy was sent home, this press conference, because the news broke about 11 a.m., between 11 and 12 Irish time, the news broke on the Thursday, the 23rd of May, which was yesterday, 20 years ago. And by the evening bulletin, which I was on today, FM, Delaney had already done his press conference backing Mick and the FAI support the decision for Mick to send Roy home. Um, what's your recollection of the, the, like, how the story was being covered and, and breaking? It was confusion was the big thing. Uh, so the Tuesday, uh, Cahill Durvin had a website. I can't even remember the name of it, um, but he had a website. And on the Tuesday, uh, he broke the story on the website that Roy had the row with the goalkeepers, uh, Alan Kelly and, and uh, Packy Bonner. And then the last word on Today FM started getting text messages that Roy w- was going home. And this was obviously rumour and there was no kind of RTE or any other sense that he was going home. And, uh, you know, obviously Eamon Dunphy was writing the book on Roy Keane at the time, so there's a huge amount of confusion. Then on the Wednesday, it emerged that Roy had decided to go home, but then had changed his mind. And the Wednesday was the day he sat down to do the interviews with Tony O'Donoghue, with the Irish Times, and with the Sun Independent. And that's then when it all um, blew up. So on the Tuesday, he decided to go home. He'd had enough of Mick, it seemed. I'd had enough of the arrangements. Um, Ferguson and his family persuaded him to change his mind. It was all going to be sorted. Then he did the interviews. And then uh, on the Thursday, 
Mick so you know was downloaded the interviews and then uh, you know called the meeting so on the Thursday uh, I came into work at midday and the receptionist told me Roy Keane's been sent home and I just said, I thought to myself oh my god and the first thing I did I think I rang Frank Stapleton I rang Mick McCar- uh, Mark Lawrenson and rang Kevin Sheedy and just got them all to just give their reaction because it was literally it was breaking um, but the confusion was the big thing that I remember from the whole week because it's an eight hour time difference technology was nowhere near where it is now and then for the next few days it was um, will he won't he you know can we make a way to find a way of, of of resolving this but once again the Mick McCarthy press conference with the players was like about half an hour after the row happened or something like that so that was very hastily arranged I remember I rang Michael Kennedy at one stage and I got through to him I was so stunned that I got through to him I, I was like I was almost speechless what did he say uh, I just asked him, well, you know, you know, some kind of. He was saying nothing. He was saying nothing. Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's, it actually got got through to him. Is is was 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 amazing, really. So you were making the same calls at the time, Jer. Yeah, yeah. We, I think that uh, you would have different pundits from us, um, and like we were only a local station. You guys were national at that point. Uh, sworn competitors and and, and uh, rivals, as in you didn't even know where we existed, basically, because we we'd started a month previously. Like we started in April. And this is, what, May 24th. So I'd say we were six weeks in operation and literally the biggest story in the history of Irish sport is... Well, that then gives you then this brilliant way of starting your off-the-ball career. Well, that's the thing. So what's, what's, the, what's the, um, the infrastructure of, of off-the-ball at that time? You're, you're a month in and... So John's coming into the office at 12 o'clock. Is the show 7 to 9 on Newstalk at that point? Are you, are you coming in around midday and, and that time difference thing is kind of hitting you in the face when you come into the office those mornings that week? Um, I'd say I was in a bit earlier, like a kind of 10am start. Like I lived six minutes from the office and it was my first month. So like, you know, we were we were working all the time. Um, but the, the, the Tuesday, sorry, the days of the week is, I, I'm not clear in my head at all, but the Tuesday is the row with the goalkeepers. Yeah. Tuesday's the row, Wednesday's the interviews, Thursday is uh, the team meeting. So, uh, like, uh, I remember Friday, they left on Friday then to go to Japan to the proper training base. I remember coming in to work on the Tuesday and I was like, oh, Roy Keane's leaving. Like, that, that had definitely, and I said, like, no, it's, that's, that's definitely not happening. This is nonsense. And it kind of just having this little sense of shock going, this isn't great. This isn't a great start to the whole scenario where we're supposed to be going to have like the time of our lives this World Cup it's going to be unbelievable like you can early out there did you at the time he wasn't in Saipan he was he was going to um, going to Japan so um, you know so we we didn't have any reporters in the ground we were the same like Michael McMullen was on the way to Japan Um, I'll never forget the the, the feeling it was as comparable to 9-11 in terms of the newsworthiness of the story now that was a tragedy this was a farce but it was that it was the whole nation was convulsed and I'll just say to anybody in any kind of job the most important thing in any job is to do you can have as many go to as many courses as you want in theory and all these kind of courses about journalism broadcasting when you're actually in it you realise that doing in something is, is so much more important. Practice is, mo- is so much more important than theory. Like, I, w- I remember I was on the receiving end of invective in the office. It was an extremely tense time. Um, it was just, you're, you're immediately into crisis mode. And I'm a junior, like, uh, observing this, but you see the whole newsroom, everybody's in crisis mode. Were you, were you head of sport? That's no, no, it was, it was Tim Toomey. 
Um, so I was just a junior in the office, seven and a half months into the job, and you're kind of going to yourself, "Oh my god, I got, I got to get, I got to wake up here um, because this is the big leaks." Mm. And you know, were you, you got, doing? Were you a reporter? Were I, you doing bulletins? I was doing bulletins, and because I was the only, we were actually, I was the only person doing the bulletins. Um, I remember I did twenty-two bulletins the day of the Cameroon game. <laughs> Uh, so like I was the only person on the desk every day just doing the bulletins and bulletins back then were um, like two and a half three minutes yeah but they're also more important in ways than they are now like they're still important but uh, they were really more very much a primary source of information for because people, people didn't have the the smartphone technology yeah now, you know so um, it, it was you know you're, you're relying on a lot of um, just guidance from your, your your mentor Tim Toomey, who was there at the time, and 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 then Michael got over to do the reports from from Japan, and then he was he took over the story as it were. But uh, yeah, it it was really it, it it changed so many things. It changed so many things. By the time Brian Kerr was in there, like nine months later, like you know the likes of Mick Byrne, Tony Hickey, none, none of these people were around with the team anymore. Then Roy came back, but uh, like I, I just wish somebody, I just wish somebody, um, like whether it was a Bertie Hearn figure or whoever, had just. Just went and just said publicly, guys, you got to sort this out. You got a duty to the country. Ireland is more important than your egos. You're both at fault. Sort it out, and we'll worry about it after the World Cup. You mentioned you were in the big leagues. We can hear John Duggan in the big leagues that week on uh, Today FM. Have a listen. Time now for the Bulmer Sports headlines with John Duggan. The FAI are supporting Mick McCarthy's decision to send Roy Keane home from Japan. Steve Staunton has now been appointed captain of the side. And in golf, Colin Montgomery leads the Volvo PGA Championship at Wentworth by three shots. More sport in full just after six. Sounded like a 10-year-old, but you did get the golf in. <laughs> I did. got the golf in, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did sound very young, yeah. The most important part of it. Uh, today, FM, obviously, with uh, wall-to-wall coverage, as you mentioned, 22 bulletins a day over this week. And the last word was appointment listening. Absolutely. Uh, we have uh, Eamon Dunphy here on Today, FM at the time. Have a listen. The captain of the Irish soccer team and the greatest player we've ever had has been sent home from the most important occasion that Irish soccer has ever had to face. It's a monumental blunder on McCarthy's part. Uh, and... Uh, you know, this is not a case of someone in being caught with a lap dancer or of that nonsense. Uh, this is a man who has spoken and has earned the right to speak and has got us to the World Cup single-handed. It's an absolute farce. Now, Mick McCarthy obviously uh, felt undermined. Did he feel personally threatened by Roy Keane, do you think? I think so, and I think that's probably been a recurring feature of... Uh, McCarthy's stewardship on and Keane's relationship with him because you know you have to think that Roy Keane's captain Manchester United Alex Ferguson Sir Alex Ferguson uh, who is you know the most renowned manager of our time gives Keane the respect and the freedom to speak his mind and we all know that he does that and there's no problem there but uh, McCarthy is an insecure uh, much a figure of much less stature and uh, he owes a lot to Roy Keane and if this is the way he's chosen to repay him uh, in order to uh, establish his own bona fides as a manager, well, then he's a fool because managers are supposed to manage problems, not create them. Now, we all know there's no problem there and there'll never be a problem between Sir Alex Ferguson and uh, Roy Keane because they love each other. <laughs> like, uh, the love that they have for each other knows no end. Uh, Ian and uh, there'll never be a problem there uh, Roy will always be able to say whatever he wants with Alex Ferguson and they will be they will die friends that's the uh, you know 
It was uh, Ian Nocter, of course, in conversation with Eamon Dunphy there. Dunphy using the same lines repetitively that week is one of my favourite parts. Like uh, Eileen Dunn had him on the lunchtime news probably that day and it's like, you didn't get caught with a lap dancer. That was... uh, If you're going to be consistent, if you have have a good line, use it consistently, you know. I'd say he was everywhere because he was on us a good bit around that time as well. Um, Dara Whelan, our producer, knew him somehow and had been able to get him on. And the other thing is, like, he's phoning into his own show there. Like, because he was in RTE the whole time doing the TV coverage, I'd say that Today FM bosses were delighted that Dunphy was a central character but would have been even happier if well, he was well, presenting his own show. Well, he was gone a couple of months later uh, out of Today FM but the, the last word well, like it was utter um, appointment listening. You had, you had himself, John Giles taking a different view, Liam Brady and Mark Lawrence and but they pretty much took over the show the whole, every single evening. Well, that's for when the, the Giles fall, falling out happens and he joins yeah. the news talk. Uh, and also the National Lunchtime News was a 12.45 show until 1.00. Every single day, the whole 15 minutes was Roy Keane mm. and Mick McCarthy. And then at the end of it, you'd have a two-minute sports bulletin and it'd be like me, like leading or whoever would be leading with, okay, well, I've spoken to oh, some other ex-Irish international who's got a view of it now Yeah. Uh, as we try to find out what was going on. We've got Dion Fanning on the line as well. Dion, good morning to you. How are you keeping? Good, Owen. How are you? Yeah, very well. Is 20 years on for you something that kind of gives you this sort of sense of, oh God, we're doing this again? Or has this week <laughs> been a sort of uh, momentous occasion for you where you're like, okay, time to get all the laundry out there. It'll be good for me. Well, I'm kind of struck by how everyone is kind of introducing it almost apologetically. Like, oh God. Uh, but it, to me, it's still, there's, there is, you know, the, the details of it are kind of fascinating, are kind of interesting. And listening to that stuff is interesting. Like, the idea that we we would relitigate it is pretty kind of boring for me. Like, I don't think it's uh, it's a question of kind of going over what what happened and trying to establish, uh, you know, the, 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 the rights and wrongs anymore. Um, but I do think there is a kind of, there is... As far as I'm concerned, there's still that bit that people like when when and I wrote about this in the currency at the weekend that Keane as a as a changed person, that was the thing that still is kind of underplayed. Like this idea that this was Roy Keane, uh, who two three years previously was getting into all kinds of scrapes, if you like. You know, there was things happening in, you know, you look back to when Manchester United won the league in 1999 and. Two days later, Alex Ferguson is is getting Keane out of a police cell in Manchester. These were the these were the events that Keane has written about to a certain degree that were happening in his life, and which, when Saipan came along, weren't happening. And you know, Niall Quinn wrote it in his autobiography about the barbecue in Saipan, talked about how Roy Roy hasn't been drinking at this stage, so we make a show of going to bed. Everyone like in Quinn now, whether it's. Uh, um, embellished or not, Quinn talks about players pretending to be tired and yawning before tiptoeing out for <laughs> for their for their all nighter in the beef eater, and Keane being apart from that. Now Keane has always spoken about how he had no problem with that, and I would believe him because one of the things that has has kind of been part of his his post Saipan life and his post managerial life has been this sort of romanticizing of the old school football ways, but at the same time. Here he was trying to kind of be somebody different to who he would have been five or six years previously when he would have been in the beef eater. He would have been with them and he wasn't. And the tension and the pressure that that put on, put brought on him, I think we've never really fully 
grasp Saipan in terms of that. It didn't matter what happened. It didn't matter if they'd gone to, you know, somebody tweet showed like there was a letter from the J Japanese ambassador, uh, the Irish Japanese uh, ambassador to Japan at the weekend saying, why did Ireland go to Saipan? This would probably have happened wherever there was. If it wasn't balls, if it wasn't pitches, if it wasn't if it wasn't what the details were on this instance, it would have been something else. And that's the thing I don't think fully is still grasped 20 years later. So when we start talking about who, you know, if we start talking about who was right or who was wrong, uh, it's it's not um, it's not really the debate mm. that 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 Keane almost put himself into this sense of isolation on a on a mental sense and e even kind of in the, the physical makeup of say the, the team hotel at that point and and when he kind of speaks about players not coming to his door to wish him well before he flies home that kind of speaks to a greater sense of isolation and separateness from the team that perhaps we haven't quite got to the bottom of. No, but it's still it's, it's still, no we ha well we. Got, I don't know if we could, like Keane always talks about this in terms of, and I remember asking him about this when he launched his second book about, about giving up drinking and talking about it as a lifestyle choice. And that's what he is always, how he's always spoken about it. And that's, we, that's how we have to take it because that's how he's spoken about it. Uh, I would look at people in similar situations and think, God, that's it, like, it seems to be more it seems to do a more fundamental adjustment to you than just deciding I'm going to eat more like steamed vegetables or I'm going to do more, you know, I'm going to do more yoga, all these things which Keane did as well. But I mean, he, he talked about the foreign players and their influence. But it was uh, his lifestyle. If, if you talk about it in terms of lifestyle, it was such a fundamental readjustment. Like this is a guy who uh, during his injury was 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 banned by Alex Ferguson from going to the Manchester United Christmas party. And more than that, the rest of the Manchester United team were told that if they were seen drinking with Roy Keane on the night, they would be fined. Like this is uh, like this is this is a central part of his life, which he then removes. And I think it's, it's an incredible story that he removes it. Um, but I don't think we fully grasped it. Like, I love all the details. I love listening to Dunphy talking about it. like this is stuff. Because I, I was, you know, this is stuff I would, I hadn't always hadn't heard, but I'm also struck by, um, like the the the, the potency of the people. And this was something I remember thinking at the time: the potency of the people Keane had in his corner. You know, he had Eamon Dunphy on, as you pointed out, everywhere, arguing, getting the message across, talking about you know Keane in the in the in these heroic terms. He had Alex Ferguson in his corner. Uh, who, let's be honest, probably was quite happy when Keane was coming home from Saipan. Uh, and the FAI and Mick McCarthy couldn't compete with 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 it on on a on a PR basis in that in that sense. And then you know even when you go and this is the thing I think is is uh, also sometimes overlooked. You look at that Tommy Gorman interview, and Keane looks like Keane looks like Robert De Niro in The Godfather Part Two. He's like he's he's so striking and magnetic, um, and this this was a huge part of his attraction that he was actually a hugely charismatic person, um, and I think that's something that is often overlooked. Uh, I'm also reminded when I start talking about Keane in terms of that, I remember I got a letter around about a month after Saipan uh, to the into the Sunday Independent where I work saying we just want to wish Dion Fanning all the best with his forthcoming operation. Hopefully the advances in, mo and modern so in modern medicine and skilled surgeons 
can remove his tongue from Roy Keane's arse. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I always remember that one. So again, when when so it's uh, but then somebody at the weekend tweeted me saying, you know, you're not on Roy Keane's or you're you, maybe you won't be against Roy Keane anymore. So like you know, who knows what? Uh, but be- it's I think they're the things that. <laughs> I think about now, but I do find the details of it. I don't know how people feel about it. I find the details of it fa- like still interesting. I find how it convulsed us is kind of fascinating too, and the, the way it took over everything is is kind of extraordinary. Uh, did you have to fist fight Paul Kimmage for him to be allowed to go to Saipan instead of you? How, well, how did that play out? <laughs> um, I didn't know. I think that was. I don't remember. I again. I I don't remember. Uh, I remember being quite relaxed about not going. To yeah, it was so it was so irrelevant. Nothing is going yeah. to happen here. Well, no one like, needs to I go to this. Next, yeah, I was on the next flight. I, I was with. I was on a flight with Paul Howard, John O'Brien. I think David Walsh was on that flight. We were on the on the next, and I, I a few other. I've, I, I've a memory of Vincent Hogan being on it, but I'm not sure about that. Maybe Vinny was in Saipan, but um, I like I do like. I remember being at the airport on the Thursday morning. We were flying out on the Thursday morning uh, and the Irish Times interview. We were reading the interview in Dublin airport. Um, and, you know, again, like how things have changed. Like that was Thursday morning reading that interview with no kind of prior awareness of it, really. Uh, whereas now you would know about that for, you know, since the Wednesday night. But reading it in, in Dublin airport. And I remember... <laughs> reading it kind of going yeah this is uh this is very interesting um but you know it seems okay yeah uh and then we we had to get we were changing at uh in in Sheepall in Amsterdam for the flight to Tokyo and we landed at Sheepall and the message came through that Keane was gone um and the next (laughs) 12 hours I just remember again just mirroring everything everywhere the next 12 hours was just conversations endless conversations about what this meant and i can remember just spending hours in a in a just standing up on the plane talking with 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 paul and david walsh i just remember like the three of us and maybe a couple of other people just talking about it for hours like what this meant but again in a total vacuum because we were uh we were we were 12 hours uh in the air and then landed in tokyo and then flew to Ismo, where the Irish team had flown that day as well, because they they had obviously left on the Friday morning. Um, they they'd left before Keane did. They'd left Saipan on Friday and flown to Ismo. But um, no, I don't remember. Um, I don't remember uh, thinking there was anything. You know, there, there was much point in as a Sunday paper. You probably thought there's no point in sending two people to Saipan. Um, nothing nothing will happen there and. Uh, and, you know, that was one of the things that became striking over the next week that there were uh, like even even that week. I was looking looking back at it last week. You know, Damien Duff said something on, as they left for from Ismo, like, you know, there was this talk about, like, let's draw a line under it here. We've had a turbulent week, but it's time now to look <laughs> forward. And, you know, let's not talk about Saipan anymore. And throughout that week, they were kind of like, this is it now, lads. We'll put this to bed. And um and if I fast forward for a minute, I remember being at the Stadium of Light at the end of August in 2002 when uh, when Manchester United were playing Sunderland. And before the game, as the players were as both 
teams were on the pitch warming up, Sunderland had a welcome home uh, ceremony for all their players who had been at the World Cup, which was basically Niall Quinn, Jason Mackett here, Kevin Kilban, and uh, and Roy Keane is warming up on the other side of, uh, on the, on, on the other <laughs> side and ends up. You know, getting getting sent off. Niall Quinn tries to shake his hand as he goes off. Alex Ferguson tells him to get lost. And you know, I remember thinking, we're not done with Saipan. We're never going to yeah. be. We're never going to be done with Saipan. Yeah, like and the France game. Here we the, are. Remember the rant after the France game? That was all Saipan. Yeah, yeah. The, the legacy yeah. of like, I mean, the, the the FOMO on that plane, Dion. I think is probably more than any journalist has ever appreciated. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm interested. Like. Uh, I mean, Roy Keane, in a clip we're about to play in a little while, in the DVD he brings out in 2002, refers to Paul Kimmage as a journalist he really respects and somebody he would give an interview to. Had the tables been turned, would you have secured that interview for the Sunday Independent if you were the man sent to Saipan? If, would I have? Well, I think at that stage, now Keane, Keane talked to a couple of journalists. I think one of them was, was Paul Kimmage, which is why Paul would have been going to Saipan. Okay. You, you had yet that to build up be- that relationship. Well, I don't think I ever built up that relate. I think, by, like, you know, there were, like, I, what the relationship I ever had with Keane was always, you know, it was fine. Like, I, I but I, I would never say I had, uh, I think the people who, who built up the relationship with him in those years prior, you know, and I, Paul wrote about this at the weekend, like the years prior to that doing, uh, doing interviews, I think he, they built up that relationship then. And he became uh, like I, I had interviewed him once, and um, I had interviewed him once before before Saipan, and that was again. I was funny, like it was very easy to to get him to agree to the interview, and then it became that was it was in it was actually in when our, when United were playing Barcelona in the Champions League, in not in in Barcelona in '98, and he said, "Yeah, come along to the hotel and do it," and. Uh, and then actually finding anyone who was aware of this or agreed. I remember Manchester United saying, we don't know anything about this. He's not doing the interview. Uh, and uh, and uh, getting a little, I just hung around the hotel, team hotel for about six hours. When Keane came down to go for dinner, he said, what are you doing here? And he gave me some abuse for wa- wasting his time. And then I hung around the hotel a bit longer. And uh, he came out after his meal and walked straight across to me. And I thought, oh God, I'm going to get it again here now. And then... Very like Paul mentioned the thing. He didn't apologize, but he said, kind of, oh, yeah, I was a bit gruff there with you earlier. Um, and he sat down and did an interview then. So, like, you, like everybody experienced the, um, the two sides of, of, of Keane. But I think, I think Paul would have, I don't think it would have been uh, as easy for anyone else to secure it or as, as it was for, for Paul Kimmage. Can we just go back to the bit you were saying um, that relitigating kind of misses the point? Is it your view that something was going to blow up anyway and, and whether or not it was big enough to self-sabotage his appearance at the World Cup is really all that's up for grabs in the discussion? Yeah. Yeah, more, more or less. I think there are... Yeah, I would say... Um, without knowing, and we still don't, we don't know everything, I don't think, but I, and I, I think the stuff we don't know is stuff that is going on in Roy Keane's head, which, you know, is, he is, as is his right, chosen to keep private. I, I don't mean anything uh, salacious in that. I mean, just how really he was feeling. Um, I think it would have been something. I think the, uh, uh, the, 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 that that sense of Keane 
just being a, a powder keg was 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 just something that was going to happen. Like Ale- Alistair Campbell, I remember referred to Keane as I remember him saying about Keane. He said he's a bit like me. He's a little dry drunkish, which means somebody who is uh, not drinking, but also still has a lot of kind of uh, anger and um, is, is, again, it's just is just can 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 go can explode at any moment. And I think that was what you were witnessing in Saipan. So if it wasn't what happened, if it wasn't those details, it may have been something else. Now we can go into, there are things you look back on and go, they're crazy, like having the, you know, I, I, I'm regretting actually saying this because it's like, you know, we are going to relitigate it, but having the, having the team meeting didn't seem to be the right way of managing this situation. <laughs> but I would say, especially given where you probably should have understood where Keane was um it was it it there might have been a way of managing it I don't think so I think there was, it, it was potentially wherever they were whether they were if they were if they weren't in Saipan if they were on if they were in Japan if they were in Izumo which had beautiful facilities if they'd been there for two weeks would something have happened I think you know we don't know but I think there's a high degree of likelihood there would have something would have happened hmm. For sure. Uh, Let's just quickly play that clip then from, uh, as I see it, the uh, 2002 DVD from Roy Keane. Uh, You can see a a picture there sporting the Ray-Bans at the time, style icon Roy Keane. Here's a clip from that DVD. I've been frustrated for many years now regarding with the Irish setup. I made a few points over there and a lot of people weren't happy with that and ended up with an argument with the manager because I think the book stops with the manager. I think it's his job to make sure things are right for the team, and it wasn't, and I said it, and there you have it. I'm in Portugal on my holidays. I couldn't believe we, we went to Saipan to train when the island doesn't have a football pitch. 